Welcome to a talk from St. Saviour's Sunbury. We pray that you hear from God. Ah, there we are. My name is Ron. Uh, a warm welcome to those of you who gathered. A particular warm welcome to, to Kirsty. It's great, it's great to have someone <laughs> who has um, slightly more ultra, as my daughter would say, trainers than I do. So um, all of the focus will be on your trainers now. Uh, when I was a curate, and I would, uh, one of the things they remarked, they wrote in their leaving card, was we're going to miss your trainers at the communion rail underneath the frock. Um, but Kirsty and I met when, uh, well, I was 16. You didn't say your age, but I'm thinking you were around about 46, right? 45, okay. Uh, we met when I was 16, and I joined Kirsty's family when I was 25, and I married Ro, her sister. And uh, what didn't come out is, uh, is Kirsty's uh, story, the redemptive power of God at work in Kirsty's life and in our lives as a family. Um, we've been estranged for probably over 10 years, and the way that God has moved to bring us back together to heal past hurts and failures <clears throat> to bring us to this point is incredible. And I just want to read Psalm 103 over you, just the beginning. Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins, heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, crowns you with love and compassion, satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth, 45-year youth, is renewed like the eagle's. Amen. Uh, Kirsty has a real anointing on her, and I'm certain, I'm thankful for the wardens and the PCC discerning that in her uh, on our behalf and calling her here to be the worship pastor. So we're in the book of Revelation. Maybe you might want to pick up a church Bible. If you haven't, you can take out your phones. Uh, we're in Revelation 3 this week. The church in Sardis, it's page 1235. It's always good. I hope you're enjoying our read scripture. Uh, we're in the New Testament. We've really enjoyed the Old Testament, <laughs> I know. Um, but we're now in Matthew. Um, but uh, pick up a Bible, page 1235. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white." I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So we've been thinking, looking at what uh, Jesus has been revealing to the churches back then, and this particular church in Sardis. And so then we're thinking about, well, what, what does it make relevant for our life here at St. Saviour's? And um, if I was going to sum up this, I was thinking, I just wish I had that Frankie goes to Hollywood. Uh, I'd be able to take this off, and it would be like, choose life. That's how I would sum up the message to the church inside this, choose 
life. And if you're new here at St. Saviour's, forgive me, because this particular morning, uh, morning I thought it would be much more fun, rather than looking at life, that we could look at death. Yes, I can see that you're pleased about that. And uh, how, how we can kill things. And specifically, how we can kill a church. And specifically, of course, you know, because I'm stood here, how we could kill this church. So I hope you'll join me in that joyful journey uh, this morning. Have you, uh, have you ever been in a dead church, I wonder? I know many of you have been in other places. I mean, you know, if you want to put your hands up and say you're sitting in a dead church now, that's okay. Uh, what does it look like? What does a dead church look like? No Holy Spirit, thank you. Jesus knocking on the door, trying to get in. Going through the motions. Anything else? No joy. Double that, no joy. No people, perhaps. Um, I once heard about a church that was so dead that when a member of the congregation suffered a heart attack, the paramedics came in and they had to find five or take five other people out before they actually got to the person that had passed away. Yeah. <laughs> See, the, the thing about this church is that it's got a reputation for being alive. This church here. And maybe this church also has a reputation for being alive. But Jesus says, hang on a second, because the church is actually dead. And the church, of course, is not the building, right? The church is the people. But I don't think they would have been looking at it going, well, that's one dead church. I, I think actually on the outsides, its reputation, what it looked like to the people, actually might have looked quite alive. So they may well have had a very full donkey park at that particular time. We have quite a full car park. I don't know if you found it very difficult trying to park outside my house. I do. Tick, you know, we have had to multiply our services. We couldn't fit everyone in the room at one time. Maybe that was the same here. You know, it looks alive. Tick. And we've had to, and we're going to, build more space because we've run out of space for all of the ministries that we do. Maybe that was the same for the church there. Tick. You know, these guys probably had some of the best preachers that money could buy. Right, you can see where I was going with that one, but I'll leave that to your imagination. The problem is, all of this looked good, but something inside of them had died. So what inside of you has died? The question for you this morning, what has died inside of you? Are you actually alive, or does it just look like you're alive? Because Jesus is running around the church right now. Wake up! Wake up! Wake up! They're literally comatose. They're on life support. This church are dead. As far as Jesus is concerned, the church, the people are dead. And he is screaming at them. Screaming, wake up! Whoa. Never knew how that mean. He's ready to pull the life support as well. Ready to pull the life support. So I thought it would be fun, as I say, to have a look at. That's the most exercise I've done a week. Uh, if you allow me, I've got a couple of observations. You see, I think we can kill this church and Jesus can just pull the life support if we become delinquent in attendance 
to its programs and its services. So if we just turn up once a month, um, it might be a little bit more problematic for me, but you, know, you guys could probably manage to do that. If you don't bother attending any of the life groups or growth groups or, or don't come to our prayer meetings, that would be absolutely perfect. I reckon we could probably um, kill the church by doing that. And I wonder if we read Acts, and there was the beginnings of the, the early Christian church. They were sat there in the upper room, and the Holy Spirit was filling them. They were waiting to be sent from their gathering. I wonder if uh, it was a bit like this, a bit like the, the habits and multitudes of our churches today. The meeting in the upper room was called for the first day of the week, Saturday. But so many things interfered with that. that of the company of 120, only 40 of them could be present. You see, look, Peter and his wife had bought a cottage on Lake Galilee and were away from the city over the weekend. Bartholomew had some guests for lunch and he was busy preparing dinner. Philip and his family had been up late partying the night before and had overslept. Andrew had this business conference he had to get to about buying a new fishing boat. James had to stay at home and cut the grass. Well, you, you get my drift. If they'd been like that, maybe the church wouldn't have got started. And if you take the same excuses that people use for not coming, going to church, apply them to other important aspects of your life, you'll realize how inconsistent we can be in our logic. Here are some reasons not to wash. I was forced to as a child. People who make soap are only after your money. I do wash on special occasions like Christmas and Easter. People who wash are hypocrites. They think they are cleaner than everyone else. The bathroom is never warm enough in the winter. I'll start washing when I get older and dirtier. I just can't spare the time to wash. It's inconsistent, isn't it? Many of you will know that part of my history of coming to faith with Roe was at the time we actually owned a convenience store in a little village in North Devon. And there was nothing that would stop us from gathering with those faithful folk on a Sunday morning. Look, we shut our shop. I just put a sign up that said, we've gone to be with the church. Come back in an hour or two and we'll sell you some papers then. There was nothing, business, money, it didn't matter. What mattered was gathering with the faithful saints uh, Sunday after Sunday for us. My boy was reasonably good at football. Um, when we were in Devon, he was actually part of an academy for Exeter City. And on the day that uh, I got the news that I was being selected here and we were going to move to southwest London, uh, he was selected to play for Arsenal's Junior Premier League. Yeah, woo, exactly. But we had to give all that up to move here because church and the life of faith is more important than a football academy or dreams of being the next David Beckham. Jesus is telling Sardis to wake up. Strengthen what remains is about to die. Their deeds are incomplete. They've lost their intensity of their commitment, I suspect. You know, we don't want people shutting up their shops to come here. We don't want people putting aside football clubs to come and attend St. Saviour's. We too should lessen our intensity and our commitment to our gatherings, to our prayer meetings, to life groups, growth groups. We just don't want people turning up at these things. It 
Secondly, did you know that you can quench the Holy Spirit? Do you know that you can stop the work of the Holy Spirit? You'll read that in 1 Thessalonians 5.19. And when the Holy Spirit is quenched, when we say, no, we don't want the work of the Holy Spirit here, the church begins to lose its life and its power. And if churches and church members are just going through the motions with this organized maintenance kind of attitude just turning up, the church will be devoid of spiritual life, that which fuels it, which gives it its power. When this place of worship just becomes a gathering of people, a meeting place of friends, rather than an encounter of God, an encounter with God, then something has gone terribly wrong. I read this quote that states that the church is in danger of death when it begins to worship its own past, when it is more concerned with forms than with life, when it loves status quo more than it loves Jesus Christ. And anyone, anyone who loves status quo more than they love Jesus Christ is just plain crazy in my book. Sometimes we get very comfortable about the way things are, the forms. I like the services. I like the times. I like the way they make their coffee. I like when the coffee's served. I like my little group. I like it how it is. I like it how I like it. Let's be led by the Spirit, but please don't change the things that I like. (laughs) You're free to laugh because you've only just joined us. And another way that we can, uh, we can kill this church is just being indifferent to its, its mission and its vision. So if you've not had one of these documents, I'd love you to pick one of these up. There's loads on the welcome desk at the back there. But inside, you'll find out all about what happened, what God did last year, and just the three simple things we're planning and what we believe God is wanting to do in the church this year. Uh, and one of them is our intentional evangelism. We, we're embarked, we've embarked on a year of intentional evangelism. Yeah. You know, when something is this good, those of you, do you know, do you know Jesus? Do you know how good Jesus is? When, when something is this good or that good for Kirsty, why bother sharing it? I mean, what's the point in sharing that good news with, with other people? I mean, don't you want... Uh, your brother or, or your sister or your mum or your dad or your work colleagues or your, or your in-laws to, to know the good news of Jesus Christ? I mean, okay, I might be pushing it a bit with the in-laws, but you know, everyone else, don't tell mum and dad I said that. We do loads of things here that you can invite people, because I know you're also, some of you will be going, it's just not me, it's not my personality. I can't do that sort of thing. I couldn't point someone towards God. Well, point them towards us, and we'll point them towards God. Bringing them along on a Sunday morning, a Sunday evening, or on Thursdays, to community lunch, or to Oasis, or any of the other things that we we do here. I recently read this book called Just Walk Across the Room. The author says that roughly each day we take, has anyone got a Fitbit on? How many steps have you done so far, Nish? 4,000 steps. Uh, you need to get up and move around a bit, I think. Roughly, we do 10,000 steps every single day. Uh, That's 115,000 miles in a lifetime, four times around this great big planet of ours, and you're thinking, that's why my feet are tired. The average room is something like 20 feet wide. 
And I want you to think about, just walk across the room, what if those 10 paces could impact eternity? Does that make a difference for you? Does it change the way that you look at those 10 paces? Do you want people who you know to know what you know, to have what you have? Of course you do, and I'm preaching to myself here. You know, my brother Terry, he desperately needs the good news of Jesus Christ. The wonderful thing is, so I preach this message, I'm talking about my brother Terry and how much he needs to know the good news of Jesus Christ. Ten days ago at Oasis on a Wednesday, what do you think God does in those moments? He brings my brother through the door. Yeah. And nobody saw him, so I said to the, the Oasis congregation, the 60 or so people that were gathered, what did I say my brother needs? Who did I say my brother needs? And they gathered a bit of momentum over time. And in the end, they all shouted, Jesus, Jesus Christ. And I got them to turn around. I said, you've just told my brother, here he is, that he needs Jesus Christ. It's as simple as that. Give your requests to God, and he will grant the desires of your heart. Just walk across the room, point people towards God. You know, in, um, it's been my privilege to work with the younger youth in their life group. There's a young lady in there whose mum doesn't come on a Sunday morning. She comes to our church on Thursday. She comes to our gathering on Thursday. She, so far, has brought two of her friends to the Bible study. They've both become Christians. She wouldn't say she's an evangelist. She just invited them along to something she was going to. You know, and we, we don't want to be celebrating when people come to faith. You know, another person's come to faith in Jesus Christ. Oh, you're not getting this, Kirsty, are you? <laughs> Lifeless, dead. Now, why would we want to celebrate that? Well, oh, they want me to cheer again. Oh, no. But just, let's just stop for a second, just for a moment. The Holy Spirit will place someone on your heart right now. Someone who you know needs to know the love of God. That's the person God is asking you to just walk across the room. God loves you. Imagine, they're not a Christian, they don't go to church, perhaps they're foul-mouthed, they constantly use God's name as a swear word, maybe they drink, they fight, they're abusive, they cheat, they lie. Now, imagine that life in the kingdom of God. Imagine the radical transformation in the life. I can tell you it's true because I'm stood here myself. And remember that's our vision it's what we hunger for as a church, to see lives radically transformed in the love and the power of Jesus Christ. How do you suppose that's going to happen? It's going to happen when people like Jen, who gave her testimony a couple of weeks ago, look, the Holy Spirit was saying, go and pray for that person while she was at the hospital. She had to overcome her fear to go and pray for that person, and they loved the prayer that she offered. They felt the comfort and the love of God. She just walked across the room following the prompting of the Holy Spirit. We've got people here like Paul and Lisa who, following the prompting of their Holy Spirit, invited their friend, Darren, who got baptized here just a few weeks ago. All because they followed the prompting of the Holy Spirit, they just walked across the room. So who are you going to walk across the room to this week? But let's not do any of that. Let's just maintain the status quo. Let's not share the good news 
with anyone. Let's just go through the motions. I think that's how we could kill the church today. Where's the good news, Ron? Where's the good news? The good news is that, I don't want to do that. The good news is that Jesus has done the ultimate walk across the room for you. He's left heaven and everything that heaven had for him to come to earth in order to rescue you, to bring you back home, to bring you into a relationship with God the Father, that you would be full of his Holy Spirit. Who did he come for? Yeah, he came for me, he came for Kirsty. He came for the sick, he came for the poor, he came for the lonely, he came for the hurting. He came for those people who are addicted. Drinkers, fighters, cheaters, liars. Yeah, for me and for you. And my life, my life forever changed the moment that Jesus left heaven and did the ultimate walk across the room. And for that, I'm eternally grateful. A few people in Sardis have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will like them be dressed in white. So church, this morning the question is, do you want Jesus screaming at you, wake up, wake up. Your deeds are incomplete. In West London speak, it would be for crying out loud, geezer, sort your life out. That's a paraphrase of Jesus. Or do you want to hear him say, you are one of the ones who, who is dressed in white, whose name is written in the book forever, for eternity. It's the hope I want to share with you this morning. So today and this week, you're going to have countless opportunities to uh, walk across the room, express God's love, give an invitation to welcome people and to show a little bit of who God is and what he's done for you and what he continues to do for you. It will quite possibly be the most exciting and life-changing and eternity-making thing you ever do in your life. Will you take those opportunities? Let's pray together. For more information about St. Saviour's, please visit our website at www.stsaviorsunbury.org.uk.